We are back in the book of Ephesians and we're closing our series out in the book of Ephesians. Um, and we thank God, you know, that, um, yeah, that, that this book has shown us that our faith and our spirituality is not just confined to the church. But it's, con- like, it's not confined, actually. It's, it, it permeates and it goes into all of our lives. When we are at home, when we are at work, when we are by ourselves, when we're with other people, our faith permeates all of who we are. And so we heard about so many different encouragements, you know, about our faith. What does it mean? Um, I was just thinking, first of all, Justine said context matters, right? Context matters. And I think that's so important to understand the context of the, the, the believers in Ephesus. Um, as we come into the book of Ephesians, this was a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison. He was under house arrest. The apostle Paul, he planted this church, and now he's writing a letter of encouragement to them. But he himself is under house arrest. So he's bound to, for preaching the gospel, so he was bound to a, a Roman soldier, and, and some of that comes out in today's passage. You'll see some of that war language comes out, you know, as he's bound to this Roman soldier. And he's, you can just imagine him sitting there and from his heart, just pouring out his heart as the Holy Spirit gives him wisdom and insight. He speaks about the mysteries of God and what God is doing. And he's trying to encourage these believers that you are part of something amazing that God is doing in our world. And he's writing his, his heart out and this soldier is just like sitting there in his full gear, you know, guarding, guarding his prisoner. So, so Ephesus, I must just remind us that Ephesus was a very busy city. It was something like Cape Town, right? It had a port. It was a very busy city. It was one of the fourth, it was the fourth largest city in ancient Rome. It was home to the temple of Artemis, um, the goddess Diana, who was the goddess of fertility. And so everyone was, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So it was this huge temple that dominated the the cityscape in Ephesus. So people would worship this goddess, but they would also worship the Roman emperor. So there was all this kind of worship of what we would consider false gods. But you know that the people of the time looked at the Christians and considered them atheists. They said, these people who don't believe in our gods, you know, our gods are Caesar, our gods are Diana, and, and, and these people believe in one, one God, a monotheistic faith, and they considered the Christians to be atheists, so they actually persecuted the Christians, and so in this busyness of this city, what we see is our believers, the small church in, in Ephesus, trying to grow, trying to understand what God's purpose for them is. And it's into this context, into this Roman context. Remember I showed you the pyramid? I'm going to show you the pyramid again because I think that's important for us to understand. These people were at the bottom of that pyramid, right? If you look at power in society, they had very little power. The powers that be actually ruled over them and forced them to do uh, various things. So, as we went through the the book of Ephesians, we see that God reveals through the Apostle Paul some really insightful things to the believers in Ephesus. And he starts out this letter and it's like he erupts in praise. I think the first 14 verses don't have any full stop. 
in his writing, you know, it's like, it's as if he's trying to praise God and it's just flowing and it just kind of comes out and, and, and he speaks about the scandalous revelation, actually the mystery of God, of God that has been hidden for the ages. And what is this mystery? Not quite. <laughs> okay, good, good, good try. What, what is the mystery? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, no. Let me tell you what the mystery is. The mystery is that God's chosen people are not just confined to the Jewish nation. That the Gentiles are part of the family of God. Does that make you happy? It should, because we are all Gentiles. <laughs> so, so, so if we... <laughs> It would have been really bad news if it wasn't. If that wasn't. So, so, so it's great news that we, as people who are not Jewish by ethnicity, get to be part of the family of God. That is amazing. And so that is the great mystery that the Apostle Paul reveals uh, to the people. And then he says that we are saved. So remember he was saying, we, we. And then he says, you, you are also included. So he says, we Jews, but you are also included. And then he says, for we are saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, lest any man should boast. So who thinks that they are pretty good here this morning? Would anyone attest to that? Okay, Nikki thinks she's quite good. So if you look back, is there a halo around Nikki's head? <laughs> now, I was really blessed by Nikki this morning. If you were in the prayer session this morning, then basically you don't need to be here now, and you can go and have a coffee outside. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit led through the message this morning. I mean, in all the prayers. Petri prayed. Nikki prayed. Nikki shared a word. It's, it's what God has laid on my heart this morning. But what I want to say is this, that the scandalous grace of God that brings in the Gentiles into his family cannot be earned by being good. Because we are not good. Amanda said it in the worship even. Like, it's not, it's not in us. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, through the grace of God, not by any works that I can't say, Lord, I went to church every single Sunday, so I'm good enough to come into your family. It doesn't work. It's the grace of God. I didn't deserve it. I deserve actually to go to be separated from God because of His goodness, because of His holiness. But God calls me in as a son because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And so that's what we learned, right? And then also... We see that together we form the temple of God, the place where heaven touches earth. Because you see, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. And so when we pray to God or when we worship God, those are what is called the thin spaces, right? That is where heaven touches earth. And we can pray. So this morning we pray together. And whatever we face, we can pray to God. Just watch my time. We can pray to God and heaven touches earth. What is it that you are hoping for this morning? What is it that seems insurmountable, that seems like a mountain that you cannot climb? What is it that you are losing hope about? There was light at the end of the tunnel, but it's quickly diminishing because you are just so overwhelmed by your circumstance. What is that thing? Whatever it is, 
heaven can reach earth when we go on our knees and we say, Lord, I need you. God can come into your situation and transform your situation by the power of His Holy Spirit. Do you believe that? So I was reading a, a theologian, which I'll speak about later on. His name is Walter Wink, and he says, we should live with more of a sense of expectation of, of the miracles from God. I was having, I, I went to a, a, a conference, and I was speaking to the founder of Beautiful Gate. I was very privileged. I felt quite privileged to be speaking to Alkia Brouwer. I don't know if you, you know her. She's from the Netherlands. Very humble lady. But, but they founded Beautiful Gate, which is a great ministry in Philippi. And she said, you know, when we come to church, sometimes we just kind of put on our clothes. We come because we must be here on a Sunday. It's a good thing to do. She said to me, Brandon, when last have you expected something from God through the Holy Spirit on Sunday? When last? Are we just coming here by rote? Because it's that time on a Sunday, let me just log my hours. God wants to do something amazing. Are we expectant? Are we expectant? Are we saying, Lord, I'm trusting you? I don't know what she said. Something funny she said. I, I pray to God and for some reason I got the sense that God said, put a red, a red ribbon in your hair. And she said, I didn't understand, but I went. So now, of course, I'm beginning to think, mm, this is sounding really dodgy here. <laughs> but, but, but she did it. And when she went to church, she didn't know what was happening. Someone came up to her and said, I was told to look for someone with a red ribbon. <laughs> and that they would pray. Can you believe it? God is still working today. God is still working. Do we believe it? And so, you see the thing is, God chooses his new family, a new humanity. To showcase his wisdom to the systems of this world, to the rulers and authority of this world, God chooses his church, we, to go and display his wisdom. Ephesians 3 verse 10 to 11 says, His intent that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. That term rulers and authorities I'll unpack this morning because that's what I'd like to just I'd like us to spend some time thinking about that. Paul then charges them to live this new life, to live out their new calling in all humility and gentleness. Isn't that what our, our, our song said? Lord, the king with a humble heart. You know sometimes when we live in this world we are we are told that look you better look out for yourself. If you don't look out for yourself, no one's going to look out for you. And so you must just push people aside, tramp on whoever you need to tramp on, because you need to be where you need to be. And if you don't do that, well, tough for you. Is that what God calls us to? He calls us to gentleness and humility. And that's what we're going to see this morning. It's very different. And that's why I've chosen to entitle uh, the sermon this morning. I don't often title my sermons, but this morning I've, I've chosen to entitle this, uh, this sermon, The Alternate Community. God is looking for an alternate community. Not people who will pitch up on, on a Sunday and then just kind of melt into society in the week so that you can't distinguish them from the rest of the world and then just like appear again on a Sunday. God is looking for something different. 
And so last week, Justine encouraged us that th this, or through the weeks, we've learned that this relationship with God affects our closest relationships. The church, our families, husbands and wives, fathers, children, slave owners and slaves. Praise the Lord, we don't have slaves anymore. The powerful in society are called to God's standard of submission in relationship. So husbands, love your wives. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Slave owners, treat your slaves with dignity. And so you see, the thing is, that, that passage actually has great relevance for us because we do sometimes live in patriarchal spaces where men just have the power and somehow we feel like we can do whatever we want to with women and children. At the end of this month, we are going to have 16 days of activ activism. The world is going to uh, kind of uh, have 16 days of activism against gender-based violence. Because it's men perpetrating violence against women. And the Word of God speaks against that. And as a church, we will stand for that. And we will say that we don't believe in the system of this world. We are the people of God called to subvert the system of this world. And so, and so that is what the Word of God calls us to. So we can't pitch up to church on a Sunday and be in church, but then go home and beat on our wives, right? <coughs> Does that sound right? No. Definitely not. And so we'll see even the Word of God calls us to a different standard. But our portion this morning... Ah, here we go. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> you must put my slides on. This is the worship. I was almost going to sing for you. That's the <laughs> So there we go. The alternate community. What is it that God is calling us to in this alternate community? There's our portion. Put on your specs. It's all on one side. <laughs> so it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in, in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In, in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all God's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, my dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. Peace be to the brothers and sisters 
and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. That was quite the portion. So, you get the sense that the Apostle Paul has written the letter and now he's ending the letter. Right? He's giving salutations and he's saying grace and peace be with you, the people of God. But what does he say up here? Finally, after he has said all of what he said in the book of Ephesians, he says, finally. Don't be ignorant about the fact that you have an enemy. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Sometimes we rely on our own strength, don't we? We feel like we have the intellect, we have the power, maybe the physical power. We know how to do this. We don't need anyone. The Apostle Paul cautions the believers at Ephesus and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. For our, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, your Bible may say, against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of, the dark, of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. <coughs> so, you know, I want to just unpack a bit of that. Because I was raised, when I came to faith, I was raised, when you read this portion, you just read that our fight is not against people, but our fight is against the demons and the dark forces in the world, like the spiritual forces, right? Does that sound like it? Yes. Our fight is not against people, but our fight is against the spiritual darkness. But there's something that I think that we miss over there. So, so there's, there's this person, Sun Tzu, I don't know, you can pronounce it better than I can, who writes The Art of War. And he says, yeah, there we go, how did you say it? There we go, there we go. He says, you must know your enemy. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. Does that make sense? I want to take that little bit of military wisdom and just apply it to our lives. I'll tell you why. Because in this portion that says, our fight is not against flesh and blood, sometimes we feel like we must fight each other. Isn't that so? If we look at our world today, what are people doing? There are wars everywhere. There are hundreds of, of armed conflict situations in our world at this very moment. And the biggest one, I mean, I think the biggest one at the moment, if not Russia and Ukraine, is uh, Israel and, and, and Palestine, right? Hamas. And so, and so we may be tempted to look at that and to take a side. And to almost feel, to root for one side and to say, come on. But you know what? People are dying. And regardless of the ethnicity, Ukrainian or Russian or Palestinian, or people are dying. Mothers are dying. Fathers are dying. Children are dying. And so the Apostle Paul says to these believers at Ephesus, because you see where they live, let me show you. They lived, this was the order of the day, right? This was the system of the political system 
that, that put the Roman rulers at the top, at the pinnacle of this pyramid, and all the other people, especially the Jewish people, because they were under occupation, and, and the other believers, they put them right down here at the bottom. So if this was power, then these few people held most of the power, and these people had no power at all, they had no say. And so, in order to keep this going, they said the image of God lies in the rulers. This was, this was the system of the day. The image of God, the king and his, whoever rules with him, bears the image of God. And these were just, these were less than human. Does that sound familiar? It should sound familiar. So, history has repeated this time and time and time again. When people, some people felt that they had the image of God and others were less than human. We repeat this over and over again. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the apartheid government, the slave owners in the US, the in Latin America, it's repeated. And what upholds this? There's a priesthood that upholds this, that tells everyone, this is the way it is, this is the way it will always be. Just go about your business. Just go about your business. Don't worry about this. This is the way it will be. This is the way it will always be. And there, there's always the military might that comes in and says, if you put a foot wrong, we will put you in your place. Yeah. If you put a foot wrong, you will suffer the brunt. But you see, God comes and God subverts this order by speaking about the kingdom of God. And so, in this system over here, what, what these people at the bottom may be tempted to think, and if you've watched The Chosen, I love, I'm watching The Chosen and I'm loving it at the moment, but if you watch The Chosen, then you see a very realistic depiction that these people may think that these are the enemy. They may be looking at the Romans and saying, oh man, if we can just defeat these Romans, if, we can, if God can just come and just crush them, then, then we'll be free, then we'll be... But, but the Apostle Paul says, your fight is not against flesh and blood. Guys, get it right. If you don't know who your enemy is, you're going to be fighting the wrong, the wrong enemy, right? And so he says, your fight is not against flesh and blood, but against pr the principalities and rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. So, it's very interesting that sometimes we, we think about these, these rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces, as only the demons, right? And, uh, Satan and his demons. But there's an interesting thought that um, this theologian develops because when we look at the Word of God, you see that there's the Kingdom of God that Jesus ushers in. And then there's the opposite side. Then there's the system of this world, like that pyramid that repeats itself, that is, that is the opposite of the, of the Kingdom of God in our world. So, as opposed to the Kingdom of God, we find empire. So when we speak, another word for the kingdom of God is the reign of God. When God reigns, God's heart, God's purposes prevail among people. There's gentleness, there's humility, there's peace, there's flourishing. 
right? But when empire reigns, it's the anti-reign. It's the opposite of what God wants. The kingdom of God is a domination-free system. People don't, people don't kind of engage by dominating other people. If you are less, if you have less money than me, well, then you don't mean as much as me and I stand on top of you. If you are a woman and I'm a man, well, then the power is... This is not the kingdom of God. That is the domination system. In the kingdom of God, there's neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female. You are all one in Christ, according to Galatians 3. When we come to empire, there's hierarchy. There's, you better respect me because I earn more than you. Well, you know what? I, I do this and you do that. And so there's hierarchy. This is what the system says. There's dehumanization. Where does the image of God lie? The pyramid would have us believe that the image of God only lies in those at the apex of the pyramid. Where does the image of God lie? When the authors of, uh, of Genesis wrote the book of Genesis, they said, and God placed his image in every single person. Yes. So now you can look at your neighbor and not say anything, but you can see the image of God. What do we see when we look at each other? In, the, in empire, there's violence, there's profit and privilege. But in the kingdom of God, there's peace and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Do you recognize that, that system? So you see, the thing is that when we, when we look at the portion of Scripture, we see that he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. So in our world, even today, as at the time in Ephesus, there were rulers, and authorities. Who were the rulers and authorities at that time? The Roman, the Roman government, right? The Roman uh, uh, kind of Caesar was. They were the rulers and authorities. And in our world today, we have systems, systems of authority. And so we must be careful that that this portion of scripture shouldn't be spiritualized away to say that it's only demons. Because the systems in our world today, what systems do we have in our world today? We have political systems, we have economic systems, we have capitalism that says you are only worth the amount of money that you can produce. If you can't produce any money, you have no worth. That's what the capitalist system says. The Word of God says the opposite to that. The Word of God says the image of God lies in you. I need to look at you and recognize the image of God. You look at me and you recognize the image of God. And so God has a plan and a purpose for us. But you see, the thing is, if we don't, I think herein lies the danger for us as a church. If we don't recognize the systems of this world as being fallen, the powers, the systems of this world, the powers are good, the powers are fallen. If we don't recognize these systems has fallen, what happens is we pitch up to church on a Sunday and then we go on a Monday and we just participate in the system. And we just do whatever everyone else does and then we pitch up again on a Sunday. And the Word of God doesn't find 
like there's no difference. We, we, we kind of just perpetuate what the world is doing. And so, maybe you, this theologian Walter Wink says that the powers, the systems, um, are by their very nature good. And maybe you frowned at that, but turn in your Bibles to, to Colossians 1 verse 16. Just turn there quickly with me as I read that portion of scripture. Colossians 1 verse 16. When you are there, I will read it. So Colossians 1 verse 16 from verse 15 says, this is, it's, it's kind of a, a hymn to Christ's, Christ's all-powerful nature, right? And it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created. Now listen to this. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Do you recognize that? All things have been created through Him and for Him. So, so we must remember, number one, that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities in this world. But, but these, rulers and, these rulers and authorities are not innately, by their essence, they are not evil. They have been created good to serve God. But they have been corrupted and they are fallen. And so what you see is that the Satan and the demons are manifested through evil systems. And we must be careful that we understand this. Turn to Titus 3 verse 1 as well. Titus 3 verse 1. So, so you see the, 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 the idea here is that we must understand, we must look as we go out from this place and we go to our place of work, we go home, we watch TV, we must be able to have eyes to see what is happening around us so that we can live in a way that honors God and be the community that He's called us to be. So just in case you, you kind of, because sometimes, I mean, you, you can look at that first line and you say, surely the powers are not good. But the very words being used for principalities and powers in Ephesians is the same words being used in Colossians and Titus when Titus, uh, when, when it is written, remind the people, when Paul writes to Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. So I know this may be something that is a little bit foreign, but I want us to see with eyes that how can, how can Titus write and say, or the Apostle Paul write and say, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. But he says, our fight is against the rulers and authorities. So you see, the thing is, if we, if we say that the powers are good, government is not bad, right? We need a system of governance to make sure that things work. But when that system gets corrupted, what then happens? 
when the evil of the heavenly realm, Satan and, and his purpose for mankind, gets expressed through that system, can we agree that looking back, because now we have a bit of hindsight to the apartheid system, can we agree that that was an evil system? For sure. It was an evil system that told some people that you are less than human and other people that you actually deserve the best. And it's caused destruction in our society. And I would want to put it to you that that system of government, so government is not bad, but this, this philosophy of apartheid was actually evil. It was a manifestation of the evil that Satan planted in the hearts of people. And do you know what's very, very... What blows my mind is that how the church is complicit sometimes with these fallen systems. In churches it was preached. It is better that we develop separately. Oh, I think it's better. I think it's better that those people there get moved out from their houses and go to Mitchell's Plain and wherever, and these people here live here. This was preached from the pulpit, people. So you see why I say we must be careful not to want to spiritualize things out of the physical realm. We must have eyes to see. But remember that our fight is not against flesh and blood. The image of God lies in you as much as it lies in me as much as it lies in anyone in this room. But when systems are fallen, that is where the kingdom of God stands in opposition to that. And so, the Apostle Paul is saying, in, in essence, to the people of Ephesians, understand where your fight lies. Paul is saying, gear up, you do have a fight on your hands, and he says, stand. Do you know what that word stand means? It means to, it's like to take a stand, to have resolve, to stop, stand still, and to stand immovable. To stand firm. It's like the foundation of a building. The foundation of this building is going nowhere. It, if it was built properly, it's going nowhere. It's standing right here. And as the church of God, we must understand what it is that we are standing on. To stand ready or prepared. One who does not hesitate, who does not waver. I know this message normally, this portion normally um, focuses on the actual armor, right? But I'm just going to go quickly through because I wanted us to see that we live in the midst of systems that are fallen. But the good news is that the powers can be transformed by the Spirit of God. And how does that work? It works when the church recognizes this and lives in a way that honors God, that lives for the kingdom. So the Apostle Paul says, under our service, looking at the soldier next to him, he says, put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, sometimes what we do, we think that righteousness is all about being a good person. All I need to be is to be good in myself. And yes, there is an essence where righteousness is about living right. I don't treat other people bad, I don't, I don't swear, I don't whatever, 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 you know. And there is that, like we heard in, in Ephesians, Earl stood here and he says, put off all malice, put off all slander, put off all gossiping. He, he preached to us, we heard it, right? But there's, this word righteousness means justice. And we mustn't get this wrong. 
There's a specific word in the original language that says that righteousness in the New Testament should be read as justice. There's a, there's a pastor that says, um, Reverend Dr. James Forbes of Riverside Church preaches a message, a very powerful message, where he says, if there is no justice, then you have no righteousness. So let us not think that we can be pious in and of ourselves and think we're living this holy life but we're treating people badly in society because then you have no righteousness. If there is no justice, there is no righteousness. So for Wellspring, I want to encourage us, how are we treating people? How are we? Are we complicit with the systems of this world? The rulers and authorities, the principalities and powers that have been influenced by the darkness of this world? We're always standing for what God called us to stand. And we will say, I will see the image of God in you. I will see the image of God in you. And then at the end of it, he says, the feet with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. And then at the end, he returns to the temple language and he says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. You see, as a church, we cannot survive if we do not pray. If we do, what does he say? Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Our strength lies in God. Sometimes I feel like, you know, for the church today, prayer is a little bit outdated. It's not so flashy to have prayer meetings. It's, ah, man, it's, do we really have to do that? I've seen, I've been in meetings where... Strategy is way more attractive, right? We want to strategize. How do we grow this church? How do we make sure that we put on a slick move here in front so people are impressed by what happens? Make sure the slides are done properly. We can't be singing and that the old slide is on. It must be done properly, people. I think more important than that is that we need to go onto our knees and recognize that our dependence lies in the power of the Lord. Because if, our, if we rely on the Lord, He will build this church. And so this is the word of God to us this morning. Praying on all occasions. We need to pray because our strength is not in our intellect or our plans or our strategies. But our strength is in the Lord and in the power of His might. As we are transformed into the image of God, we see through kingdom lenses. What will it take for us as a church to start to live into the kingdom of God? As individuals, to start to live by this lens. But you know, we mustn't be so holy that we think that we are not. Because part of our lives, part of my life, is complicit with empire. It's so pervasive that we are complicit. But God needs to give us, God will give us eyes to see. And we need to be quick to repent and say, Lord, how do I live for the kingdom of God? You know, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians in AD 60, 60, 62, after, after Christ's pass. In AD 90, John wrote the book of Revelation. And he wrote this to the word of the Lord, to the, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Listen to this. To this very church that the Apostle Paul was encouraging. He says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, 
These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Think about Diana and the temple of Artemis. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. This is what he writes 30 years later to this very church. But he goes on as he says, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Did we hear that? Yet I have this against you, church in Ephesus, that you have forsaken your first love. Do you remember how it was when we came to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you remember when you came to faith? Do you remember how fervent you were? How you prayed and you said, Lord, my life, everything to you. I remember those times. I had a little book, you know, I used to write in graffiti and put highlights in. And I said, I love you, Jesus. And God is amazing. And they had this little thing and it was everywhere. I didn't know as much about what it meant to love God. But there was this passion, right? There was that excitement. Do you still feel that sense of excitement when you read the word of God? Do you still sense that passion for God? My question to us this morning is, we are a young church. We are only old. Three years old. Three years. What will God have to say to the angel of Wellspring Church <coughs> in five years, in ten years from now? Will we still be living for the kingdom of God? Or would the the lure of the empire have called us in? We cannot. We need to remind each other. We need to keep each other accountable that we are the people of God. The image of God lies in you. The image of God lies in you. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and the powers and the forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us as your people. Thank you, Lord, that by grace you save us. You want to save us. You, you, you invite us. And Father, we thank you that your heart of, of, of righteousness, your heart for justice, your heart to see all people loved and cared for, Father, is so vividly imprinted in our hearts and our minds. I pray that you give us strength, Lord God, to stand, to be passionate about what you are passionate for, to have our hearts break for what breaks your heart. Mm. Father, we pray that you bind us together. Bind us together as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.